Participation in sports is a right for everyone. We know sport is important for our physical health and for our social, emotional and mental health. Australia is an internationally renowned nation of sport watchers and participants. The world looks forward to the Olympics next month and this year there will be some fierce debate centred on some of the women's sporting competitions, in particular events with transgender females. Now a transgender female is someone born male who makes a decision to live as a female. To assist the transition, people take sex hormones and have surgery. Some transgender females now want to compete in women's sport and that brings an immense challenge. At the Olympics, the stakes are high. The training, carried out over many years, decades even, will have meant enormous sacrifice. And to be pipped at the post by a biological man in a woman's sporting event just doesn't seem fair. It may seem inclusive, yet is it fair? The International Olympic Committee have stated, quote, There's considerable tension between the notions of fairness and inclusion and the desire and need to protect the women's category. So what does this male advantage look like? Let's quantify it. When males go through puberty, they gain physiological advantages such as higher lung capacity, increased blood flow and greater bone strength and density. These advantages don't diminish completely after a gender transition. In the final analysis, a man is on average 7% taller and 13% larger. Women on average have only 66% of male lower body strength and 52% of male upper body strength. These are hard data. They're facts. At Olympic level, the pinnacle for any athlete, the difference between female and, and male world records is around 10% across sprinting, distance and strength events. When these facts are considered, it seems that the very heart of a competitive event, its integrity, is brought into question. To talk more about what's going on in the sports world and the Olympics regarding the inclusion of transgender people, we welcome Catherine Deves from Save Our Sports. Tell us, Catherine, about Save Our Sports Australasia and why was it formed? What does the group do? Okay, so um, Save Women's Sports Australasia is an international coalition of women's organisations, athletes and supporters of women in sport who assert that male athletes should not compete uh, in the female sports category. Um, so we were formed, uh, so the Australasia chapter was formed um, last year. Uh, we joined forces with the New Zealand women um, because we're facing similar issues in our jurisdictions. Um, and we in Australia were starting to realise that there was a problem with policies being pushed through that were allowing males, men and boys, to be included in the female sports category here in Australia. So that was pushed through by the AHRC and Sport Australia. Um, they released policies in June 2019 um, where it basically is prioritising the category of gender identity over sex. So sex as a, as a category, for, category for division in sport is being overridden by the concept of gender identity. Um, and this means that all that a man or boy has to do to compete in the female sports category is register as female when they sign up to play that sport. Um, and also concerningly, we were seeing that um, these men and boys are allowed to access the toilets, change rooms, overnight accommodation that aligns with their gender identity. So that's raising safeguarding issues. Um, and I realised that there was no one uh, in Australia pushing back against this. Um, Save Women's Sports was founded a few years prior in the United States um, by a woman called Beth Stelzer. Uh, she's an amateur powerlifter. 
And she went along to a competition and the whole competition was interrupted by a male who wanted to compete as a female and Powerlifting USA has said no to that. So he interrupted the whole competition. So she started um, this movement um, and so we jumped on board when we realised that the same sort of policies were being pushed through here in Australia and no one was speaking up for the women and the girls. Thank you. That was comprehensive. And can you give us, Catherine, some real examples of this happening and how is it impacting on our women and children? Okay, so as I said, these policies are being pushed through uh, primarily by a group called Pride in Sport that's lobbying all the Australian sports organisations to adopt the AHRC and Sport Australia guidelines. Um, so what we are hearing from, we are now hearing from mothers, from parents, from female competitors, um, from young coaches and judges who are concerned that there are now men and boys competing in the female sports category. So this is happening in sports in Australia, AFL, cricket, basketball, um, gymnastics, roller derby is a big one, um, and a few few other sports. And these parents and women and girls are afraid to speak up. So they're coming to us with their stories because if they um, speak up, and criticise these policies, they often get harassed, uh, smeared, they can get kicked out of their own sports organisations. And we know at a professional level that if women and girls speak out against this, uh, they are threatened with loss of sponsorship and also loss of a space on the team. And interestingly, we talked about this before uh, we came on air, Catherine, but transgender people dislike what's happening mm -hmm. with, with um, transgender females coming into female competition. They, they've actually called us a lot, of, uh, told us about that. That's correct. So uh, there's a number of people, uh, trans people that I have spoken to um, uh, that I'm in contact with and many of them are horrified that their situation is being weaponised by trans activists to push policies through. Absolutely. Um, they are also concerned about uh, the children being captured by this, who are being pushed into medicalised pathways. Um, so they feel that they are being misused and their, their stories are being misused by activists to push policies through. So there's already a question of the integrity in, in this area. So what's Australia's policy in this area? So uh, as I mentioned, uh, the main policy has been driven by uh, a collaboration between Sport Australia and AHRC. Um, so here they push for gender identity to take priority, um, also in relation to access to um, to facilities, which I think any fair-minded Australian would be concerned with if there is males able to access spaces where women and girls are vulnerable in a state of undress or asleep and that parents and female competitors are not allowed to know about the sex of this male person coming into these spaces. Um, but in Australia, at a federal level, we do have protection in our legislation. Section 42 says that we can exclude on the basis of sex. Now, the AHRC and Sport Australia are completely ignoring that in favour of gender identity. Many of the, well, all of the Australian states have similar legislation um, that they are also ignoring. Um, and further to that, we have international treaty obligations as a country where we have signed the UN's 
uh, CEDAW, which is a convention for the elimination of all forms of discrimination against women. And they have specific articles in there that allow for the protection of women's sports and that women and girls have the right um, to access sports. Um, however, these government bodies are ignoring these treaty obligations um, and, in my view, ignoring the legislation and misinterpreting it. Well, let's come back to that. That's a really important point you raised. But let's come back to it after we discuss a few more questions. So the next one, Catherine, is it seems that in the quest for inclusion, we're ignoring the prevailing male competitive advantage and the potential for physical yes. risks to females. Is that what's happening? Absolutely. And when they talk about inclusion, they are talking about the inclusion of males and of males, men and boys in the female sports category. So in this instance, inclusion actually means exclusion of women and girls from their own category. Yes. And with our policies that are being implemented, they are ignoring the existing evidence that not only shows that males have a significant performance advantage on every metric from strength, stamina, speed and size um, through to the risk of injury. So we know that if women are forced to play against men in sports um, like collision or contact sports, their increased risk of injury is conservatively estimated at 20 to 30%. So we are pushing that burden onto women and girls, expecting them to carry that risk without their input, without any consideration for um for that impact, it's also putting that burden onto sporting organisations um, in relation to liability for injury. It's also ignoring that we uh, are getting a better understanding of this, the uh, severity of concussion. Um, obviously, this is a big topic in male professional uh, amongst male professional athletes, but we are also beginning to understand that for women um, with concussion, we suffer more severe impacts at uh, sorry more severe injury at lower impacts with longer recovery time and worse outcomes. So we're just expecting women and girls to uh, put their put their own selves their own bodies at risk in favour of this ideology that. Um, seeks to include males. Going to the Olympics, what yes. are the rules around transgender women competing? For example, Laurel Hubbard from New Zealand has followed the guidelines of the International Weightlifting Federation and the International Olympic Committee to qualify and attained the required testosterone levels. Why isn't this enough? Well, look, Laurel Hubbard is keeping to the rules. And look, I'm just going to say that bodies play sports, identities do not play sports. So when I discuss um, people, I use sex-based uh, pronouns, I use reality-based language. So I'm going to refer to Hubbard as, a, as he. Um, so he's aligning with the guidelines. He needs to declare that he has a female gender identity and that his uh, testosterone is 10 nanomoles per litre and under for 12 months. So obviously women are not a hormone level. So just focusing on testosterone does not mitigate the fact that he is nearly 50 kilos over the minimum um, weight to enter into his category, which is 87 kilos. He is nearly 130 kilos. Um, he is also 43. He has broken his arm previously. Like there is no way that a 43-year-old male with a, with a broken arm would be able to compete in the male uh, Olympic category. Um, and further to that, this policy was pushed through in 2015 and it was pushed through on very bad science. It was a person by the name of Joanna Harper, who is not a sports scientist, even though they are a doctor. Um, 
And it was on a self-reported survey of eight non-elite male athletes. That was the data they relied on to change the rules for 51% of the global population. So they didn't even have any decent research when they made that change. It was just all on the demand of this person, Joanna Harper, who is um, a male trans-identified person. Thank you very much. That's really comprehensive. I've noticed that in your answers. You're very comprehensive. (laughs) So I I do want to make a point, though, that uh, Laurel has not broken any rules, so we're not actually criticising her. Mm -hmm. We're strongly criticising the rules the rule makers and those pushing this ideology, which is hurting women and girls. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, allowing males to compete in the female sports category um, defeats the whole purpose of women's sports. When we watch elite females competing, we want to see the best women the world has to offer. We don't want to see men who've aged out of their own category, who are mediocre to begin with, taking those spaces on the podium like that's not the point of elite sport we want to see the best women and this this policy of the IOC is robbing women of that opportunity it's robbing little girls of the opportunity to have um uh, heroes that they can look up to and you know I mean the men have the men's category they can compete over there if they're not good enough to compete in the men's then that's just the way it is um the women's category really needs to remain closed and open only to female born females okay let's continue on that discussion on categories because it seems that we have categories for sport for very good reasons it isn't arbitrary is it children don't compete with adults children of similar ages and abilities compete with each other abled people do not compete against those who have a disability and boys and girls don't compete because of the significant advantages already discussed, and particularly once they hit puberty. The categories we have in sport make it fair play, correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. That is the paramount principle for sports competition, is, is fair competition. And then we take into consideration um, the principle of player safety and welfare and inclusion. So we need to balance all those principles when we make sports policy. And when we look at the policies that include men and uh, men and boys, clearly only inclusion is being considered. And you're a mother of three girls. So, and I'm, I'm, right. a, I'm a father of one male and, and one female. How would mothers yeah. and fathers feel about daughters playing rugby against males? How would the girls feel about playing rugby against males after puberty? Look, parents are horrified. My daughters play seven sports between them over the over the course of the school year, um, and I'm constantly talking to parents. Many do not know that these policies are in place, um, and they're they're horrified that their daughters might be put at risk of injury. Um, we are also hearing stories from young girls who are choosing to self exclude from their sports if they have to compete against the boys because they know they're either going to get injured or if it's a, something like uh, running. Um, or hurdles, they know who the winner is going to be of that race before they even start. So girls are becoming demoralised. We know we have a high level of attrition when girls hit puberty, and this is just increasing more barriers to entry for our daughters. So overall, I, the ordinary Australians do not agree with these policies. You know, I believe most Australians are very fair-minded, and while we agree that everyone should have the right to be able to play sport, you cannot just play in any category of your choosing. You've mentioned that point twice. It's something that slipped my mind until you've done it and done it really well. These policies are excluding girls. They're not inclusive at all. So 
Let's move on to how can sporting bodies include transgender people while keeping it fair and safe? Do we have a women's category and then an open category for all others? What do you think is the best solution? I think you've just uh, made the right suggestion there, Malcolm. Um, I absolutely believe that the female category needs to be reserved for women um, due to the limitations of our biological sex. Um, And I believe that the men's category should be open. I believe that men need to be a bit more accepting of gender non-conforming males and it should not be just pushed onto women who are being expected to accommodate men who are gender non-conforming. Um, yeah, so I think, I think make the men's open. That would be the solution. Thank you. Um, and, and this isn't a, d- a debate about women versus men, men being better than women or, me- or women being better than men. To me, I think the whole thing has got off on the wrong track because it's clear that, so, that the women's movement saw some inadequacies in the way society was shaped, and, and I get that. The wrong, they made a big mistake by saying that you and I are equal. There are many areas, as we can see in this debate. I mean, you're, you're a call of facts. You're putting forward an argument. Well, whip me in this, in this debate. So <laughs> I'm happy to, to cede your superiority on this because you've done the research. So it's not a matter of even superiority or inferiority. It's a matter of if, if women, instead of saying they're equal to males, because in some areas they're superior to males, if instead women had said, you know, as an employer, if you hire more women, you will have a better balanced outlook in your in your workforce. Hire women because you will be superior as an organisation, not because women are inferior or women are superior. Doesn't that make more sense? Um, it does. Look, I think where we kind of went wrong is, yes, saying that women and men are equal because we're the same. And I think we all know that is that's not true because our bodies are different and women usually uh, bear the burden of uh, the reproductive burden um, within society and within families. Um, what we wanted was equality under the law. Uh, so we wanted freedom from discrimination in the public arena, uh, equal rights, uh, that sort of thing. But that does not mean that we're the same. So I think that's maybe where the conversation got off track um, because what we've done here, obviously, is by ignoring the difference, the biological sex differences, um, we've ended up with this mess around sports policy. So, you know, we really do need to acknowledge uh, that there are differences between men and women, but that should not preclude us from having equal opportunity and equal rights under the law. And, and I think go a step further, Catherine, um, celebrate the differences between men and women, because when you have both, it is far superior than having either. Oh, absolutely. I think that needs to be <laughs> needs to be acknowledged and that we both sexes bring different things to the table, um, you know, and we need to be able to work together as a society. Absolutely. Oh, so well said. So let's move on to, to a, a related issue. Isn't focusing on inclusiveness a false goal? Doesn't it deviate from the real goal? Instead, it can be used, uh, the focus on inclusiveness can be used as a constraint to push an ideological agenda and to distort. And then it can be used to smear and exclude. For example, people say, oh, if you're against um, uh, transgender people being in female sports, then you're not, you're being exclusive. You're not being inclusive. Well, so while we can't tolerate exclusion, the opposite, which Mm -hmm. I see it as blanket inclusion, isn't necessarily the best solution if it means that the integrity of the, of the sporting event is compromised. What do you think of that? Well, no one's banning trans pe- 
transgender people from sport. Like that is that is a false argument from the other side. We are merely saying that men and boys do not have the right to play in the female sports category. Okay, their feelings about their identity should not override the biological material reality of living in a male or female sex body. So I think these accusations of transphobic transphobia and bigotry, I mean, they're being so overused that they're almost rendered meaningless. Um, and, you know, we are seeing women who are speaking up. For instance, Dr. Holly Lawford-Smith at University of Melbourne started collating these stories on a website and they tried to get her fired. They tried to smear her reputation. They had protests um, on the campus where women were assaulted. I mean, it's it's really extraordinary. And all the women, are, all we are doing is sitting here saying, could we please come to the table when these policies are put into place? Could they please not be done by stealth behind closed doors? And could the public please be made aware of this argument and be provided with all the information? Because I think when... Um, People are aware of what's going on and say with World Rugby when they put their transgender guidelines into place, they let everyone come to the table, including women, trans activists. They looked at all the evidence that was available and they came to the conclusion that it wasn't fair for women and girls to have to play against males. So they said no to men in the in the rugby sports category. So I think this is one reason why the trans activists want us women to be silenced because when we actually have a proper reasonable debate and all the evidence is considered, everyone goes, this is not fair. So obviously that's not going their way. So this is their tactic to try and get their way. It's to shut everyone down and smear any criticism um, as bigotry and transphobia. So all you're looking for is the same thing I'm looking for across so many areas in politics and in the Senate, a debate yes. that is honest, yes. based on integrity, yes. and based on data and facts. That's all you yes. want. Yeah, I mean, using feelings to make legislation and policy doesn't work well. Subjective feelings about identity, because that's not stable, it's not, it's fluid. Um, they can't even define the word transgender. The goalposts keep moving. So how can you make laws based on that concept when they're in conflict with laws to do with biological sex, which is like an observable, objective, material reality, like they're in conflict? So Yes, I, I agree. We need to have honest conversations about this and we need to be basing it on reason and evidence, not individuals, people's feelings. It just it doesn't work. It makes for bad law. Right. It needs to be objective. And, and we've talked about three words so far, fairness, <laughs> safety yes. and integrity. They keep coming up in our conversation, Catherine. Yes. Yes, I agree. I mean, what the IOC did with their policy that was I don't that wasn't a fair process. Women were not considered at all. Um, and the data that they based it on was was bad data. It wasn't even data. It was a self-reported survey. And to change the policy for half the world's population is extraordinary. It's a complete betrayal and it's completely disingenuous. Right you now, know? I um, a, yeah. I'll add a fourth word, respect. Because yes. um, it, it need, it's, it's absolutely essential because we need to respect women when we're talking about these, these kinds of constructs. And what you're talking about is respecting the facts because you also have enormous respect. I picked it up in your words, not only your words, but also the tone of your, your words. You have enormous respect for people who are born um, male or female but, but feel like they're in a different body. 
and and there are some they're not many many people they're tiny 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 minuscule proportion but we do have to have compassion yeah. for them and respect for them oh absolutely i've talked to some of these people who transitioned as adults and been through all the surgeries and they've had terrible experiences they've been excluded from community from family they've lost marriages and jobs um, you know, some of them have even said to me, I would never wish trans on anybody. It has been a nightmare. But they've said, as an adult, they came to the conclusion that it was best for them to live presenting as the opposite sex. And none of them are in denial about their biological sex. They all accept the reality of their biological sex. That is why they have the dysphoria. So I have enormous compassion and empathy for those people. I cannot, under, you know, it must be a terrible feeling to be at war with your body all the time. But... That being said, that should not mean that women and girls should be expected to sacrifice their sports should, you know, in order to accommodate um, some of these people. And these people that I speak to do respect the fact that women's sports should be left for women. It's all these trans activists uh, and, and bureaucrats within Sport Australia who want to be virtue signalling to be all about equality and inclusion and pushing these policies without really thinking it through. Um, without consulting with women or parents or safeguarding experts. And I don't know what evidence they're looking at, but all the evidence shows that males have a performance advantage. Clearly, they're either looking at it and dismissing it or not looking at it at all. Um, so we need to have this big transparent conversation where, where everyone has a say, not just the people who stand to benefit, which is how it's been working so far. So here was I thinking there are only three words, fairness, safety and integrity. <laughs> We've added respect and compassion, yes. and that they're essential yes. human traits for this debate rather than ideology. So finally, yes. what can we do to continue to protect our women and girls in sports? Well, this is where we need the help of the community. So I think everyone can understand the fact that women are entitled to have boundaries. We're entitled to say no to men and boys in these spaces, and I think the vast majority of Australians would support that. So what we would like to see is if people feel strongly about this, to speak to your MPs. There is so much power in writing them a letter, a phone call, write to your sporting organisations, find out what the policies are for your local soccer club or your local swim team if you're involved. Um, and if you need some help drafting those letters, get in touch with us. We can help you. We have resources. Um, also, don't be afraid to have these conversations. You'll find that most people agree with you. So it's going to take a community-wide effort to get um, our decision makers to actually step up to the plate um, and, and have this, this conversation that I'm talking about. Um, Save Women's Sports would also like to put forward some legislation that makes the sports exemptions really clear. So we're going to begin lobbying we have begun lobbying for those changes so if people can just be aware even contact your local media write to your local paper we've not had a lot of joy from the mainstream media covering this um, we've had say sky news and the australian have been very good but the mainstream commercial media outlets are refusing to acknowledge that there's criticism so if people can start contacting them and saying hey there's this alternative viewpoint could you maybe start covering it this is what we need from the people. So, Thank you very much. Transgender women don't always win, yet a woman will probably need to work even harder to win in her category. The odds are tipped towards the transgender woman. In the US, for example, in 2017 and 2018, a transgender female won high school track championships in the 55 metre, 100 metre, 
200-metre and 300-metre events. Her closest and only real competitor was another transgender female. Some argue that sports is never an equal playing field, and there are always inherent advantages in some people and disadvantages with others. While that may be accurate, pitting biological men up against women is not fair play, and it's not safe play, and it doesn't meet the needs for integrity. Everyone has a right to compete and participate, and we need a solution that takes biology into account. Maybe our best outcome is a women's category and an open category. That way sport is inclusive, safe and fair and meets our needs for integrity. This is Senator Malcolm Roberts on Our Nation Today.